0: Mark chapter 12 there's the last section there small section that we didn't cover yesterday and it is the section concerning the poor widow beginning verse 41 now Jesus sat opposite the treasury or the offering box and saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much then one poor widow came and threw in two mites which make a quadrants for analogy's sake we can say pennies that make up a quarter perhaps very small copper coins that's all she gave the others put large amounts again by way of analogy perhaps they put in large bills and she didn't have even one bill but just some pennies The Lord just sat there watching. After all, the offering, the tithe, and offerings, were supposed to go to God. And here is God the Son, in person, watching. So he called his disciples to himself, and said to them, Assuredly I say to you, that this Poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. There are some observations here that are important as the Spirit of God would show us. One thing to note immediately is that the Lord Jesus doesn't tell everyone to put their whole livelihood all that they possess into the treasury or offering. Just as he did not Instruct everyone to go and sell everything that he or she has and give to the poor, as he said to the ruler that came to him. The rich young ruler, as he's known by most people. For that man, he brought up that issue because obviously the man loved his wealth more than the cost of discipleship. And so in this case, the Lord makes an observation that this woman, even though she put these small copper coins, perhaps pennies, that's all she really possessed on the face of the earth, her entire livelihood, as per this Passage in the Gospel of Mark, and the Lord makes that comparison that the copper coins actually outweighed all of the coins and bills, if you will, of all of those rich people. The Lord Himself is giving the verdict how He sees and how He receives. That should make us quite cautious in how we present to him our tithes and offerings. And the qualification for her offering to outweigh and outdo, although that was not her intention, but in God's estimation, that's what it amounted to, that what she gave in heaven's calculation far outweighed everything the rich people gave and the qualification for that commendation from God is that all of those people the rich people including the people who had more than her even if they were not necessarily rich chances are everyone had more than this woman possessed everyone else The Lord says, all of those people, they took out their checkbooks and they checked their bank accounts and they decided, giving this much really won't hurt me a whole lot. And so it's safe. In the eyes of man the portion that I'm going to give, including to my own corrupt conscience, so the rich people could have thought very well, it's a huge amount, considering the price of coffee, considering the price of gasoline, considering the price of any common thing that I need to do and purchase, this is a good amount more times than what I normally spend on things that I need. And so it must be worthy maybe for one person it's $50. It's a huge amount out of a weekly salary in their estimation. They may earn $1,000, but to them, $50 going to the treasury, going to the church, is a whole lot of money. And plus, everyone else is giving, so if you take the sum total of everyone's tithes and offerings, well, the church is going to be in a good position to have enough, and maybe even more than enough. Unfortunately, this kind of mentality is not all that uncommon. Even people who know or have been taught, the tithes and offerings are not going to the church, but from my heart to the one who sits on the throne in heaven. And as God would direct The use of the tithes and offerings, just like the priesthood in the Old Testament, so it gets distributed. But the giver is not coming to make the church rich or to have a part in the development projects of the church, but coming in humble gratitude everything God has done setting aside a portion notice that costs something we're reminded of the great premier Jewish king King David who often would see himself as a little child though he was a king and a valiant warrior fearless man and quite able Empowered by God's Spirit. Diligent. Fearless. Skillful. Champion. But when he came in God's presence, he said, Who am I, Lord? I'm just a little child. Father's house is the least. Of all the people, I'm just in awe of you. Almighty God. I'm even able to sit before you and just gaze upon your beauty. This is my treasure, Lord, to look upon you. You are my everything, Jesus. And then, to bring something to offer to the Lord, he said, I will not. I refuse to bring anything that doesn't cost me. Someone tried to give him a site for offering sacrifices for free. He said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not bringing anything to the Lord that doesn't cost me. And going further, what does it cost? As far as these rich people were concerned, they calculated the amount that would not really hurt them. And that was the error of their hearts, according to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why, even though they put in seemingly and comparatively large amounts, before God, it was as nothing. But the small copper coins or pennies that the widow put in, amounted to an acceptable, pleasing sacrifice to Jesus Christ. What is abundance? If a person has $1,000 a week, could giving out of the abundance mean giving $10? Absolutely. Meaning they have a large cushion where it will not hurt their wallet or pocketbook at all. But for the other individual, and thinking about this poor widow, all that person has is ten dollars. They put in the ten dollars. The Lord says that's more. He is not t- telling them or telling us every time you come to the offering time and worship service, empty your pockets and your bank account and all your property. No. The Lord is stating to us very clearly how heaven calculates and what really reaches God. So it would behoove us to pay close attention because perhaps there's a possibility that our giving to God is not acceptable. Whereas we may calculate in terms of the dollar amount God calculates in terms of How much did it really cost you? Was it sacrificial or not? Because if it's not, you're really trying to keep yourself comfortable and you have no faith. This woman, as we know, in the ancient times especially, they didn't have funding like today, in various quarters. Usually, they were left to themselves to eke out a living or get handouts and beg if they didn't have family especially to care for them once they became a widow or widows from that kind of background can you imagine that and we must add this that they did not have employment typically yet the mercy of people's generosity She took all of the avenues of her sustenance that can cause her to survive from day to day. She took that and put it in the treasury. She was a woman of great love for God. Great faith. Should we be any different? Can we afford to be any different? Will we have treasure in heaven when we get there? How are we giving to the Lord? May the Lord radically alter our thinking on this subject because it matters before God. Wherever we give, however We would like it to be allocated for the kingdom of God. If it doesn't cost us truly, then before heaven it's negligible. Even if it's $500, $1,000, $50,000 to a person making $50 million. What is the proportion? And what are the chances that they really are going to struggle a whole lot to try to get by with the rest of the money, which would be a thousand times more than the $50,000 that was given? One thousandth of fifty million dollars is fifty thousand dollars. One thousandth of fifty thousand dollars is fifty dollars. To get an idea of how we would like to understand the concept if someone should give to us, maybe a relative or a friend or an organization, and they go about boasting, well, I gave them. I paid my dues. One thousandth of what you possess? Nowhere near close to a tenth. And so the principles given in Scripture Which principle she outdid, this woman did, this widow, poor widow. She didn't give one-tenth. She gave 100%, not 10%. But between the kind of giving that the rich people gave and this giving of this poor widow, surely... There is an extreme degree of variation. And yet the Lord guides us and He gives us a very good basic understanding of what constitutes a tithe that is acceptable with Him even before the law was given. We see the patriarchs engaging in this. Almost instinctively, God accepted it. As new covenant, blood-bought, spirit-filled believers. Shouldn't that be the basic amount? The bare minimum? And then, with all the goodness of God, should we not worship Him with not only the tithe, but also offerings? And then again, with all that God has taught about faith, should we not trust God and see the kingdom of God advance and support the work of the kingdom of God on earth, knowing that God will never become anyone's debtor? Can any of us this morning deny God has not been generous to us. After all, Everything we have comes from our Father. Every single thing we have. It has come from His loving, wise, intentional, gracious hands. May the Lord speak to our hearts to completely, radically change any attitude toward giving to God that may be offensive to Him which would defeat the whole purpose. Praise God, God doesn't shroud these things in mystery so that we have to get interpreters to try to study the original languages in which the Bible was written and then calculate the equivalencies in terms of today's modern language And try to approximate and decipher and hopefully come to something remotely close to what God may have intended. Who knows? Throw the hands up in the air. I don't know if we're supposed to give one penny or one dollar or ten dollars or one percent or 0.25 percent. I don't know. The question really goes back to what the Lord diagnosed the human condition when he spoke to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John. When people's attitudes and hearts are really into themselves, and they're really looking out for number one, themselves, and they really want to stay in a comfort zone where they have enough to play around with, and then when the light comes and the truth comes, it becomes offensive. And they try to run away or hide or look the other way or close their eyes and pretend they don't see or hear. Rather than say, I need to change. Because, number one, as the physical manifestation of God by the treasury on that day, was observing very closely what was happening. So he's observing all the time. He knows exactly what's in my wallet, in my pocketbook, in the bank, stocks and bonds and whatever way investments go to different individuals. He knows exactly the complete net worth of every individual. And he's watching to see whether it hurts us any at all, costs us anything much at all, when we come to him to offer our praise and thanksgiving and worship and our giving. So it's left to us to take it or leave it. To read Mark chapter 12 very closely to see the drama between Jesus and the religious leaders. And then when we come to these four verses at the end of the chapter, to gloss over and hurry over it, because it doesn't apply to me. We must be very careful, every single one of us, that we never try to hurry through Scripture, assuming that, ah, I give. It's not applying to me. And I give a pretty good amount. Let's go to chapter 13. New topic, please. You see, our giving and the attitude of giving really reflects the quality of our faith. Just like the Lord determined about Cain and Abel. Two brothers. The only noticeable difference prior to that fateful day when they offered before the Lord what they brought was that they seemed to have two different kinds of employment. But on that fateful day, the Lord brought out the whole truth about what was in the heart. Cain came and he gave what he thought was a pretty good deal to God. And he thought, I worked for this. God better be happy. It was not the best that he had to offer. Abel a man of true faith, a man who really loved God, right away brought the best that he could bring. Which correlated with his understanding of the value of the person of God himself. You see the connection? And we must take this And translate this into everything we do. How many times has the Spirit of God convicted you and me of doing less than the best before the Almighty God? The awesome God. When we read the Bible, how many times have we glossed over it, hurried through it, treated it cheap because other things were pressing we really wanted to get to doing the other things so we tried to fulfill the obligation and try to quell our conscience I did good for my soul today I got my soul food and now it's on to the physical food physical pleasures did we offer our best attention Our best concentration. This type of teaching, this type of revelation hurts. Or it can hurt. But it's a good hurt. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful faithful are the wounds of a friend when a friend a real friend comes to you and says you know what what you did there was wrong I'm telling you because I care about you I don't want to see you get hurt but that's just plain wrong as opposed to reading yesterday earlier in this chapter We saw flattery. Tell me things I want to hear. Boost my ego. Tell me that I'm the greatest. And you are my kind of friend. The blind leading the blind. The Lord said, both will fall into the ditch. But there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And there's a friend for eternity... Lord Jesus Christ and He will tell us exactly what is going on in our hearts not only with reference to tithes and offerings but also to the way we give God our attention our concentration our worship our reverence our prayers our singing our worship through reading the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, he's made it very clear, hasn't he, that we ought to love him everything that's within us, spirit, soul, and body, or, as the scriptures put it, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. There's not one square inch of real estate in the human constitution God says you don't have to give that just give me the rest he gave everything for us he was brutally beaten he was mocked and spat upon crown of thorns were pressed upon his skull he was punched slapped bullied pushed around, shoved around. And on the open wounds, they put a robe on him. They did everything to cause stinging pain and humiliation. Why did Jesus have to go through that? Because of me. Because of you. Our sins. And then why did he, after being so abused, this holy, majestic, sinless God, Slow, painful death of crucifixion with huge, crude nails going into his wrists, forcefully tearing his flesh and sinews to the point where it had to affix him to that wooden cross. Not just one wrist, but both of them. He didn't give just one foot to the nail, but both of them. He gave everything. Can we not give to God till it hurts us even a little bit? Could we not give the worship and attention due to His holy name and be utterly ashamed at the times we treated Him cheaply and He gave everything He thought highly of us of us who are ungodly doing wicked things abusing ourselves and other people abusing God He gave us His all We must give God our all. Otherwise, we don't understand God at all. Every time we give God our best in anything we do, we are affirming our faith in the invisible, almighty one. We are quick to reciprocate and exchange niceties, good words, and gifts with other human beings. But do we do the same at least when we should do even more with God? If we really believe that God is a person and He is the creator of the cosmos And He is the compassionate, gracious God who is the reason for our existence and life today. Shouldn't we run to express our thanks to Him in everything we do? May the Lord speak to you directly to see if changes need to be done. As I open myself up, myself, every time the Spirit of God speaks, to see if there's something that I'm not doing that God has told me to do, something that He's told me you need to change because it's not acceptable to me. Can we be like those kinds of people? Real? With integrity and humility and real faith? Then the result would be not just raindrops or drops of blessings, but showers of blessings will fall upon our lives. Showers of blessings. And God will see fit to entrust into our hands all of heaven's power to go and do the miraculous. Where our sharing of the gospel will yield great dividends. People will get saved. It will just blow us away. Have you ever had that experience? I could well remember the age of 18 or 19 when a colleague got born again, followed by a number of others. The first time and every time I felt like I was in heaven. Because the enormity of heaven's miracle in the human soul overwhelmed me. At that age I I knew, this is life. To know the living God, to love Him and to serve Him. And to help others to know Him, love Him and serve Him. They can get born again and follow Him. God has given us so much that we ought to be consumed with a passion to giving Him our very best in every area of our lives because He deserves far more than that. And yet He takes it. How condescending He is. How loving He is. The one who is brutally battered and murdered because of our sins. The one who, it's written, rose again, not for himself only, but for our justification. It's written in the Gospel of John that having loved them, his disciples, even though he was going through torment, way before he was even arrested, he sweat great drops of blood, agonizing prayer. prayer he's not only going to be physically accosted and murdered but he's going to bear the weight of the guilt of every wicked deed every human being ever did and will do on his one body he's going to bear that we can't contemplate the magnitude of that but even during that struggle even during that passion, is thinking about us. Having loved them, He loved them to the very end. And then, when He rose again, again, thinking about us to justify us, to finish the work the Father gave Him. May we take this lesson this morning from these few verses in Mark 12 to put a lens and a spotlight upon my life and your life to see whether we're really giving God our best in everything. If we're not, we're sinning. Not just I'll be used a little less and I won't be on God's best side all the day long. Um, I'll try to make up for it. No, I'm in sin right now because I'm not loving Him. I'm despising Him. That's what it translates to when I have knowledge of this truth if I don't change in the areas the Holy Spirit shows I'm despising him. May that not be said of any of us but rather let us say Lord like King David I will never give you anything that doesn't cost me. Doesn't hurt me quote unquote in the natural. Really I will never get hurt when I give to God my best, because supernatural blessings will transcend that barrier between the natural and supernatural and get into my hands from heaven. God will bless me with all kinds of blessings. As it's written in Psalm 128, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. And the rest of that psalm details all the ways in which that person will be blessed. The one who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy. Well, fearing the Lord means to keep his commandments, according to Ecclesiastes 12. And part of his commandments have to do with giving, serving, sacrificing the Lord says this I will rain down showers of blessings that when you actually eat the labor of your hands you're going to be so satisfied more than anyone else on the planet and it shall be well with you if you're married your wife your spouse we can take it to mean the household of even those who are not married by extension. You'll be fruitful. You'll be brisk, beaming with gladness. That's the way God will bless you. The Lord will bless you out of His dwelling place, Zion. And you will see the glory of God all the days of your life. Peace to you. God not only gives us commands and exposes our hearts so that we can get better but he also always emphasizes because he's so generous and so loving whatever you seem to give up whatever seemed to hurt you remember he that loseth his life for my sake and the gospel will gain it in the end Give and it shall be given back to you. God said, I'll make sure people will give back into your lap. Good measure. Press down in the container. Shaken together and still overflowing. It will be compressed blessings so concentrated that it'll just overflow. We can never ever outgive God. May the Lord, help us to consider our tremendous latitude that we have been given by God. He doesn't come and take it, He said, You give it. Let's see. Let's see what you think of me. Let's see whether you really love me, you really worship me as God. Uh, Let's see what you do with your time and how much you uh, allot in your day to spend time with me. Do you love me? Let's see what you offer to me. Do you love me? Let's see how you handle things that I put into your hands, responsibilities. Do you really love me? No doubt. A person who really loves the employer, or an earthly king or president employed in that dignitary's service, really respects that person, would always go beyond the minimum requirements. Isn't that so? How much more would the living God? I encourage everyone to allow God to speak to you. Don't run away, but stay in His presence. The Lord. Perhaps some of us will say, I really don't give you the time that you deserve. After all, it's for my good. God is not gaining anything. But there's a beauty to the fellowship. In Revelation chapter 3, the Lord says to the Laodicean church, After he brings his verdict on how they think they're rich, but they're really poor. And they think they can see, but they're really blind, they're wretched. With all of that, how impressive the loving nature of God's heart. After all of that, when he said, I wish you were hot or cold, I just would spit you out of my mouth. You're lukewarm. You're just apathetic and sickening the way you're living. And you claim to know me. Love me. But he comes back with this. Many as I love, I rebuke and I discipline. I get to work now and repent. Change. Change another beautiful thing he mentions is that behold I stand at the door and knock to who? the people that felt so lousy now that the truth came out from heaven God himself giving the report card you have been failing badly miserably but instead of being kicked out and thrown out and put down and shut down they see the Lord open his arms and say it's not the way you're meant to live, I love you I want you to be the best and experience the best I'm knocking if you open the door I'll come in we'll eat together we'll have sweet fellowship once more I can't resist such love I hope You can say the same. The love that poured down blood on Calvary's cross. Is there anything in life, any pursuit, any desire whatsoever, any experience that can ever compare with fellowship with the living God? As we conclude, it depends upon what we really think about this great God we boast about, and how that is evident in the way we give Him our time, our talents, and our treasure. May the Lord help us to be like this widow woman in her spirit. As was mentioned, not everybody's called to give everything, go sell everything after the poor, and come follow me. But the principle holds that I need to have that kind of detachment from everything that I have and do and value in this world and cleave unto the Lord my God. Love Him supremely and give Him the best. Whatever I do ought to be a pleasing, not token, but a sacrifice. Something that costs. And that too, God expects the very best because He's the Lord our God. Shall we pray? In fact, before I pray, I'd like a few of you to pray. The Lord's spoken to you.